talked to some people who had had the, the statin plasma injected and they were raving about it. Just recently, even after I got my injection, we found the uh, correlation of the biologic age drops. Some of the people were pretty significant biologic age drops. One of them went from 35 years old to 15 years old on biologic age. Is that good? We don't know. It starts with just taking that leap. Man, you have to work hard. You have to be incredibly smart. Choose something that even if it fails, even if it fails you are going to be proud of it. doesn't matter how badly you got beaten in that. Be kind, be kind, be kind. Become a better person, a better leader, a better business. Go with your gut. I'm Samuel Donner, and this is Finding Founders. Okay, so can you can you tell me um, who we're about to go talk to right now? We're talking to uh, Dan Stickler and Micra Hamilton, two of my favorite doctors in the world. They recently tried the full satin gene therapy and had some pretty incredible results. Dr. Dan's office is a hub of innovation that is redefining healing. He employs an array of tools that help in navigating the realms of consciousness and longevity. Through it all, he advocates for a balanced approach to health, emphasizing the integration of technology with human biology for a future where lifespan extends far beyond conventional limits. Let's explore the types of therapies Dr. Dan offers and dive into his personal embrace of Minicircle's statin gene therapy that's extending life beyond what we previously knew possible. So being a longevity center, we like to also work with some cosmetic stuff. So we keep a laser here, uh, resurfix laser. Um, what does that do? What it does is it rejuvenates the skin. It makes it, uh, gives it a more youthful appearance. Yeah. Uh, it takes out wrinkles and fine lines, all of that stuff. Wow. Blemishes. Do you use it? I don't. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. I'm aging gracefully. Uh, actually not, but... Uh, that topical stuff I'm not a big fan of. I like okay. to rejuvenate from the, from inside. the inside, yeah. which I guess we'll get to. In a <laughs> yeah. This is our um, plasma apheresis machine, uh, one of the best uh, longevity interventions. It can be used in two ways. So we take off a liter of your plasma, so we're draining your blood, spinning it down, giving your red cells back, but keeping the plasma. The purpose of that is to take the, um, the plasma in older individuals, which is going to contain inflammatory uh, cytokines, uh, aging markers, which we call um, age-accelerating chronokines. So these are messages that are hanging around in the plasma that send signals to all the cells that you're getting old. Yeah. So by removing 40% of that, we kind of clean that signal out. So the aging signal gets reduced dramatically. Really? And we replace it with saline and albumin to give the volume back into the system. Can you just like remove like 100% of them? No, you can't, you can't do that. No, for, no aging at all. Yeah. I mean, we've done, the thing is, if we do subsequent removals, like we've had people had two liters done at one time, you're not removing 80%. You will remove... 40% with the first one and about 20% with the second one because then you're also filtering the right. stuff that you've already given them back. Right, so it's kind of like a logarithmic. Yeah. But we also have the option of using young, young plasma, which uh, we're part of um, an IRB study that is looking at how young plasma kind of 
works with uh, Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. And what it is, is we get blood from a plasma center that is specifically selected for the 19 to 24 year old age group. So do you use this? Yeah. Uh -huh. we, we that's like internal remove, rejuvenation from the inside. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It removes those aging chronokines. And then when we're infusing, like for me, a 19 to 24 year old male is- You're a 19 to 24 year old male? I am. <laughs> no, but to get that, that is like the peak reproductive age. That's when the, the body system is at its peak level. So everything it's producing is magic. I mean, it's the stuff that really can rejuvenate the system, and we call it uh, age-decelerating chronokines that, that it contains in there, along with hormones and proteins. Uh, every cc of young plasma contains 1.86 billion exosomes. And so when you get a liter of young plasma to replace the liter we remove, you're getting like 1.4 trillion exosomes which is enormous. I mean, you just yeah. don't get that anywhere else. It's just like the more exosomes, the better. Yeah, basically. the exosomes are these, these little fat globules that contain messenger RNAs, microRNAs, and proteins that are all about being youthful. So when you have used this machine with people and on yourself, like what kind of effects have you noticed in the days weeks, months afterwards, and what kind of effects do you notice over like long periods of like therapeutic use? Well, from a subjective standpoint, the, the clients report better deep sleep, they report improvements in HRV, um, just in HRV. You know, heart rate variability. Uh, it's, it's kind of the best marker, I think, for really your state of health. Mm -hmm. The higher you go from your baseline, the better. And consistently we see people going up. Some people do this every three months. Uh, some people do it once a year. It's just up to them. But the biggest thing we see from an objective standpoint is we do biologic age. And we use six different tests to test biologic age. Right. So is that, is that different than epigenetic age? There's a combination of that. So we use omic age, uh, internal and external epigenetic age. We use the pace of aging score. Uh, we use mitotic division rate of stem cells, and we use telomere length. So we've got a, a whole grouping of different age markers, and we look at what happens. But if, have you have you uh, done your own age, and w what are you clocking in on? Yeah, so I am. I was two years younger on my epigenetic age, and my pace of aging was a little higher than I liked went through three rounds of this without the young plasma, just the, the apheresis, and I reversed that age by a total of, what was, I was six years younger, so four years reduced. And do you imagine that uh, the effect tapers off through more use, like the gains are less and less? It's, a, it's something we don't know yet. And we're part of the study. We're looking at that. Yeah. So you're you're this this is like on the ground floor, uh, yeah. building up. Like you're 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 uh, you're at the edge. Yeah. People people come here because we stay at that that leading edge of all of the rejuvenation stuff. Yeah. A lot of it is not um, not known to a lot of physicians, and a lot of physicians are uncomfortable using some of these technologies because they don't have the, uh, the research that uh, is long-term. Why are you more comfortable? 
my clients are more comfortable. People come to me because they're the ones that want to get involved in this. I mean, if we wait for longitudinal studies on all of these longevity drugs and the treatments and everything, for the longe longitudinal studies to show statistical benefit versus risk, we're gonna be dead by that time. Right. So we like the ability to make that decision for ourselves. Most of the machines that you have in the office, like you are using on yourself as well. I use every, every one of them. Wow. Yeah. Something I always talking to Mac about is it's like you have, and also like some other like longevity researchers, like you have um, the like the the mid cases, like the, that are emblematic of um, uh, just like how effective it is on average, and then you have these outliers where people yeah. um, really have a, a a massive like decrease in in age because of some of these therapies. Mm -hmm. um, what have you seen in some of the outlier cases too? You know, it varies across the board. Um, let's walk out this way. Um, we have um, we have clients, we, we run genetics on all of our clients and we have some that will um, carry certain genetic variants that give them bonuses in longevity. Uh, especially with the, um, the clotho variant, um, which is a protein that's... Uh, that's for, for like IQ stuff, right? People tend to have higher IQ, but they also have to have extended longevity. I mean, they're the, the super agers. Wow. And, yeah. Um, like my wife, she has the variant that gives her that benefit. And so it keeps her clotho level high. Wow. And there's gene therapies for those now, right? They're coming, yeah, yeah. Um, hopefully very soon, actually. Back here is where we do a lot of uh, the brain assessments, um, physiologic stress assessments. Uh, so we'll hook you up to a machine, looks like a lie detector, and we measure your skin conductance, skin temperature, um, tension in the trapezius muscles, breath in the chest and belly, heart rate variability, and even expired CO2 when take you through five stressors and we see what your system does during stress mm -hmm. and whether it comes back to baseline after the stressors removed. Because what we wanna have happen is an elevation in all of these parameters during the stress, but as soon as we're out of the stress, we want it back to baseline. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people just keep certain ones elevated throughout the, the day and it, it just drains them. So training them with breath work and other things, we can get objective feedback on what, what's happening. And so I noticed like a lot of like Eastern religious uh, imagery around. Is that related to your practice at all? Yeah, it, it's actually one of the areas that we work with, which is working with people in, in the realm of consciousness. So a lot of people are going through changes in their life where they're experiencing uh, questioning why are we here, what's it all about, you know, what's our purpose, and, you know, we really have gotten into assessments of stages of consciousness. So is this like psychedelic therapy and such? We do some psychedelic therapy with uh, ketamine treatments here. Yeah, I mean, a lot of them have come out of psychedelic therapies, um, going to do ayahuasca or ibogaine or mushrooms, and they get into an existential crisis. Why is that, you think? They're just not integrated. Uh, they go through these processes and see these things, experience these things that they 
feel, you know, this was a real experience and I can't explain it. Yeah. So they're looking for some yeah. guidance in how to integrate that back into their lives. Yeah. Um, but it's, um, you know, it's something as people age, you start to get a little bit more spiritual, but there's not many guides out there um, that can help you navigate that that new terrain. Where have you, like, have you sought that guidance yourself? Uh, yeah, over the years. I've, yeah. I've probably over the last 12 years, um, I did ayahuasca in Peru back in 2011, um, and it was profound, life-changing. Um, and then over the years, I've my wife and I have focused on uh, Vajrayana Buddhism, uh, other Eastern practices. When you say profound, like I, you know, the, I guess I've also had some psychedelic trips, and um, uh, there's like the actual experience that is odd, peculiar, like profound in that moment. But the key is like, how can you take that and bring it into your everyday life? And so, like, I guess how do you feel like you interacted differently with the world post? Absolutely. Um, now, the first ayahuasca I did in Peru, it was profound. Uh, ended up hiking the Inca Trail for three days afterwards and came back home, dropped back into the same routines and convinced myself that it was all just a trick of the neurochemicals in the brain. I didn't have anybody to guide me. I mean, there was nobody there that could take me through this. And you came from, I mean, you're, you're a doctor, so you come yeah. from like a scientific background, like right. a medical background. Was there much spirituality in your life before? No. No, I was this scientist, is, science is real. Uh, you know, the atheist uh, belief system. And I just realized that there's more. And it was a massive change in my life. Um, and we wanted to help people that were going through it. But even without the psychedelics, people are waking up. You know, they're going through stages of consciousness development. I mean, going from a, a subtle consciousness level, a subtle ego into a meta-aware state. I mean, people can spontaneously transition into that. They have no idea what's just happened to them. Yeah. But as we see a lot of people, a lot of our clients end up uh, coming to us because they're going through that state. So that's why consciousness has been a, a real addition to to benefit our group. And so what do you feel like is the, do you, do you find people coming in for the, the consciousness to lead to longevity or the longevity that leads to consciousness? Or is it just We like never know where they're going to come in yeah. for. Uh, and they're usually coming in for something other than what they think they're coming in for. That's the big thing. They they come because they think this is going to help them with this. And they realize that wasn't the issue that they had in the first place. And so we work with them on that. Um, yeah, it's been interesting. I mean, we map their brains. Uh, we do a full EEG. Can I see how this works? Yeah. Uh, let's go next door here where the caps are. I've seen these in science textbooks only. <laughs> yeah, these are uh, EEG caps. Okay. So these are clinical grade EEGs. We map the brain, look at all of the different waveforms that are being created in the brain. We can localize things with the probabilities of this is a beneficial waveform. 
This one is a detrimental waveform based on what they tell us. Mm. So, you know, when you get an EEG, it's standardly looked at from a pathology standpoint. Okay, are you an average brain? Well, a lot of our clients are high performers. And to tell them they have an average brain is not a good thing to tell them. Yeah. Um, they're going to have abnormalities that are not average, but is it a gift or is it a detriment? And that's what we have to determine. And then after that, then we can use machines like this, which is uh, neuromodulation, and we can induce currents into the brain. It's a little different than neurofeedback where you have to actually kind of focus your thoughts on things. With neuromodulation, we can run a current, an AC current, DC current, uh, PEMF, to really induce a new current into the brain in that area. And so we can take away a pattern or we can enhance an existing pattern that would benefit them. So is that at all similar to a shock therapy? That's something that I've heard, or it's, is that it's, what it is? It's not the, the electroconvulsive therapy. Okay. Um, and I've actually done electroconvulsive therapy on patients when I was in uh, medical school. Uh, it works. I mean, I've seen it work really well, but this is a little different. This is low voltage. You feel a little tingling. How long does a session like this usually take? Like, how long does this take to set up? Um, well, I mean, once we do the EEG, we get the parameters of what we're going to be working on. Yeah. And then we do usually 10, 20 minute sessions of training with, and we have them doing coherent breath work during the training. Wow. And it embeds really quickly with neurofeedback. It typically takes 50 to 60 sessions of like an hour long each. So this has really been a huge benefit from a time standpoint. This is the, the ketamine treatment room. Wow. So I, I, I imagine that's the eye goggles to block out light. Yeah. Um, do you have someone in the room while oh, yeah. doing ketamine um, yeah, I'm in there for part of the time. Our nurse sits with them the entire time. And what kind of um, what kind of guidance do you give within? We the spend room? we spend roughly about an hour to an hour and a half getting to know them and what they're looking for, what they're experiencing, and. After that, we have, we have a couple options. We really like to do their brain mapping beforehand because we can identify things and we're about ready to launch a new genetic test that can tell us probable responses to ketamine, metabolism, risk of psychosis, all of these uh, things that we don't have the ability to test for right now. When you say risk of psychosis, is that temporary psychosis or like more permanent psychosis? Both. Um, you know, with any of these uh, psychedelics, there's the potential for it. Um, it's like right now, people with a family history of schizophrenia or a past history of a psychotic break, we won't do ketamine with them. Yeah. Um, this in here is a DEXA scanner. We use it to measure um, bone mineral density of the hips and the spine and a full body composition. So we look at how much muscle and how much fat you have throughout the body. Uh, it's kind of the gold standard for body composition assessments. Is this like, what is the, how does it scan? Is this like radiation kind of deal? Or yeah, it's, it's actually less than a chest. It's one tenth of a chest x-ray total.
Um, okay, so we just kind of did a, a grand tour of uh, the office. Um, but I, I feel like saying it's an office doesn't, doesn't quite <laughs> yeah. do it justice. It's not like a medical office. I mean, I, I, it, it, it feels when you, when you think of like holistic health, and like I think that term, I'm from LA. Yeah. That term gets thrown out a lot, <laughs> but this really feels like end to end, like body to mind um, health. And it seems like uh, you, you you've invested a lot in understanding it for your clients, but also yourself. Yeah. But uh, I'm curious. Uh, so my Mac. Uh, was one of my first interviews, and now now we've become friends, and we've like been talking throughout this journey, like going from um, talking initially when he was like just doing uh, uh, when it was all like theoretical, then to uh, the testing on goats, and to um, the stuff in like Roatan, to like the 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 elite in Ukraine, and now. I'm like hearing my friends in LA talk about, have you heard about this like folostatin gene therapy? It's like gotten to this, yeah. uh, this point where it is, I mean, it's not known, but it's known within like these, these in the longevity community for sure. Longevity yeah. community for sure. Um, and so I'm curious your perspective on how the, the folostatin gene therapy has progressed. Mm -hmm. And at what point were you like, yeah, let's 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 get the injection. Well, I have to be honest. So, so I think it was four years ago, Mac and his team came in to meet us, and he was talking about doing the the therapies, and was asking about if we could draw the blood and do the uh, DEXA scan so that we could monitor their muscle mass changes and the fat mass changes. Um, and I was fascinated by it, and he asked me uh, if I wanted to get it. And I was like, no. <laughs> Why do you say no? Because, you know, he they were still in the trial phases of it. And, you know, I can look at it and logically say it makes sense. But, and I'm one that is really risk, not risk averse at all. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm like, oh yeah, I can do this. But this gene therapy, little bit different. Um, Why is that? Like, what are the risks that you imagined at that point? Well, any anytime you're putting genes into a cell, can they incorporate into the um, into your DNA and what kind of effect? It was just like when we started doing CRISPR, it was working perfect. But the problem was they were only looking at where they were doing it. And they're like, this is our target. And look, it did it perfect. But then they pulled back the microscope and they're like, oh, it inserted there too, and there, and there, and there. <laughs> I was like, okay, let's let's just uh, get some more studies under our belt with yeah. this. And and it's not like every gene. Th I mean, there has been gene therapies before, and like you have that famous case of uh, what was like the viral gene therapy that um, that someone died from. So it's right. like, but you saw this week, uh, FDA approved, gave approval for the first gene therapy. Uh, and it's for um, for people with sickle cell, mm -hmm. and it's for the people who have the really intense pain from the sickle cell, and they've got a gene therapy to insert, um, turn on a fetal myoglobin gene uh, or fetal hemoglobin gene that gives them life again. Yeah. So I mean, it's, it's again like we're, we're definitely moving yeah. towards that space, but going back to when you were first 
yes. thinking about it, well, you're, you're, there's, there's a lot of reservation. Yeah, it intrigued me because it wasn't gene editing that they're doing. You know, the plasmid is very different than gene editing. If you were to break it down for like a six-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So in in gene editing, there's two ways to do it. You can you can put this sequence, uh, DNA sequence, into a, vir a viral vector that's been deactivated, but the viral vector carries it into the nucleus of the cell, dumps this um, this string of DNA, and hopefully it's designed to attach to a certain sequence and then insert itself into the genome or change a sequence of the genome. Um, there's various ways they do it, and I'm not an expert on that, but the problems I see with, with that currently is that it's hard to be very precise. I mean, the Cas9, CRISPR Cas9, getting very good at that, um, but it's... What does a lack of precision lead to? Insertions in places that you don't expect. And what could happen? We don't know. That's, that's the problem. I mean, we're only using a very, very small percentage of our DNA that we're aware of. But, you know, we have three billion base pairs. I mean, three billion, that's a lot of base pairs in the genome. Um, and you, it's not something you can say, well, well, we can try this. You know, you want to know that this is doing exactly what you want it to do without much in the way of off-target effects, or at least off-target effects that are not dangerous in any way. Um, you know, that's why they're so resistant to do germline therapies, which is the, you know, in, in eggs and, and sperm, because those are ones that can then be passed on. And then you have, like, basically genetic races. Yes. Um, no, but the, you know, using the viral vectors, you're going to make antibodies to that viral capsule too. So it's like, you know, if you ever need a booster or anything else with that, you're you're going to have antibodies to the the viral um, capsule, and so that doesn't appeal to me. But with when you have antibodies to the viral capsule, that's that means it's like preventing right. the the viral capsule from spreading, meaning again, like the imprecision right. of it, because not only could it go in places that you don't expect, it could not go in places where you would expect it. Right. Okay. I mean, you know, some of the, some of the companies have stuff that have been, that has been tested on a lot of humans that they're having great success. And I, I would be okay probably with some of these, but. But when Mac came to you, I believe at, at that point, did he already have the idea of a, a, a mini circle. Yeah, they were already in practice with with some of it. I think they had uh, developed the E. coli to produce the plasmid and all of this. And he was asking me if I wanted to be involved in the initial trials. And I was like, mm, not quite yet. <laughs> I don't want to be the first guinea pig. Yeah, uh, but uh, over the over the years, we had multiple meetings, discussions. Um, I was kind of giving him my medical perspective on things, uh, what the longevity marketplace was talking about. And, and uh, I talked to some people who had had the, the folistatin plasmid injected, and they were raving about it. The initial studies on the first, I think I was 
I was number 100. <laughs> um, but the studies they had on the first 75 were looking really good. Um, what were you saying? What were you seeing in the data, and what were you seeing um, just from talking to these people or hearing like the I was seeing the, the, the lean mass gains, uh, muscle improving. I was seeing the fat mass drops in these people. That's the objective data. But subjectively, they were all reporting feeling better. And then just recently, even after I got my injection, we found the uh, correlation of the biologic age drops. And some of the people were pretty significant biologic age drops. Like what was a significant drop? Um, I think one of them went from uh, 35 years old to 15 years old on biologic age. Is that good? We don't know. I mean, Does we it, know biologic age is a good predictor right. of risk of disease and mortality. And when we look at people like from the, the Dunedin Pace study, I mean, they've been following, what, for 45 years, a thousand people doing testing every couple years on them. And you can see just in their appearance, they're all the same age, but you can see the huge differences in the slowest agers versus the fastest agers. Uh, and it's dramatic. I mean, you know, some of these people look 35 years old and others look 65 years old, but they're the same age. And using the Dunedin Pace testing and studies, they've been able to quantify different factors that contribute to the more rapid aging. Um, and then when epigenetic age came out, they actually started applying that to the study. So as new technology comes out, they're adding it to the study. Um, but it was quite impressive. I mean, it was something that I thought... Um, but like 15 versus like... Because when I think... Uh, we, we were just talking in the other room about why it was like uh, uh, 19 to 24 was the uh, ideal age for plasmid retrieval. Yeah. Um, if you're lower than that age, is that affecting the body negatively then? We don't know. Um, now, I know one of the, one of the Follistatin clients, uh, her biologic age dropped to 12. <laughs> from, she was only 28, but, but 12 is <laughs> pretty, pretty low. Um, I've seen some older people that, um, that were able to drop 15 years in the course of a year while we were working with them on different things, not with the statin, but with, with the other interventions that we do. Um, and that was about the best I'd seen. And then, then this, uh, this Follistatin study comes across my desk and I was, uh, I was pretty, pretty sold on it. I mean, so you're hearing the qualitative uh, report you're hearing, you're looking at the quantitative research, and uh, you see this 99th person <laughs> yeah. well, come on in. Here was the cool thing. When they came to me and they said there's a kill switch, that sold me. Okay, so everything else looked good. I mean, it's a plasmid. It uses a, a polymer carrier to get in. It's not a viral carrier to get into the cells. Um, it's delivered into the cells locally. The plasmid goes into the cytoplasm of the cell, not in the nucleus where the DNA is, but the plasmid starts transcribing the protein, uh, follistatin, uh, specifically one follistatin 344. And this will um, 
inhibit a, a protein in the blood called myostatin, which myostatin um, means kind of like muscle blocking because myostatin is blocking the ability of the muscles to grow. But yeah, it, you know, it, everything was hitting all the key points, my key objections. It was, they were being eliminated by uh, what they had. And the final objection was the kill switch. And uh, interestingly, I'm part of the kill switch study. So I got my injection of statin six months ago. Um, at three months, I had gained six pounds of muscle and lost five pounds of fat and didn't change anything. Um, my heart rate variability increased by almost 15 points at one point. Um, I was sleeping better. Uh, I was really impressed with it. And you know, right now, I'm, I'm just so excited that we have this opportunity to do this. I mean, plasma therapy seems to be the way I'd want to go, for sure, as opposed to the editing. What do you think it'll take for the layperson that is interested in, I don't know, like maybe, maybe the same person that just does Botox to look younger. Yeah. Like, what do you think um, their objections would be? And then, like, how does this, how does this reach the point where it's, it's not just the very uh, curious and and well educated on this topic. Like, when do you feel it will reach that that layperson? It's hard to say because most of the objections of the layperson aren't relevant. But what do you think they are? Like, what would well, I mean, there's a lot of fear yeah. and fear marketing and articles online yeah. about Gattaca. yeah the, the movies. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so they, they just don't understand what the process is. And it, it's something that is going to take education. And, and I'm seeing it. I mean, you know, the people are starting to actually dig into it now. You know, with Brian Johnson having done the polystatin injection, um, people are hearing about it now. Um, it's like uh, the Clotho is coming out next. And most people don't know of Clotho. Everybody in longevity knows Clotho. Everybody wants Clotho. You know, uh, I think. Uh, Are you interested in it? Oh yeah, for sure. I, I'm more interested in that than the folly stat. Right, because that's like a seven point increase in IQ. Oh yeah, it's yeah. it's. I mean, what, which, what look, does that mean? When because like I hear seven point increase in IQ, that's, and that's just, just a number. A but like, correlation. Okay, so what we found is that. It started off when, when Clotho was knocked out in mice, they had a very short life and they had like a rapid aging. And so they thought, oh, okay, well, that's kind of strange. What can happen if they had an enhancement of Clotho? And when they did that, the mice, the mice had a substantial increase in longevity uh, and health and their ability to uh, navigate mazes. And then they started looking when, gene, when uh, gene sequencing really took off to the general public, they started looking at these variants of Clotho. And there's one variant of Clotho that about 15% of people have under the age of like 80. But over the age of 80, it's like 40% of people have this Clotho variant because all the other people died. <laughs> now we're seeing the, the weaned out group that is living this super long duration. So it's a, I mean, it's fascinating. We don't know for sure. I mean, 
Clotho itself, the main thing it does is it slows the conversion of um, precursor vitamin D into active form. The effect on aging and, and the people who have that variant also tend to be about seven points higher in IQ. Um, that's interesting, and will that translate into better cognition? We don't know, although there are studies that show that Clotho itself being injected on a regular basis will improve cognition. Really? Yeah. Have you done Clotho injections? I haven't. Why not? It's a, it's a commitment. <laughs> and we don't know what dosage is going to be ideal. Uh, I mean, the thing I liked about the statin is you want to you be in the mid-20s. When you're young, that's where statin sits, in, uh, in the mid-20s. And as we age, we lose the ability to produce it. Uh, that's one of the reasons we lose muscle mass and gain body fat. Um, my wife and I, we were, I was six and she was seven on the uh, folly statin level. And within three months, I was 24 and she was 26. Wow. Yeah. And that's like optimum. I, I feel like it is, yeah. And it, it, what was nice about it is it's not going super physiologic. It's just taking us back to a youthful level. So it seems very, I mean, like overall, like extremely positive. Oh, I'm excited. Um, yeah, this is, a, this is a game changer for sure. If you were, this is not a Dr. Dan recommendation uh, necessarily, but like what kind of advice would you give to a young person curious about... <laughs> <laughs> that, that. To, to a young person, I would say optimize your lifestyle, get prioritize sleep, nutrition, exercise, and stress. But they, like the Blue Zone research, right? Yeah. They're like, the best time to invest in your longevity is now, right? Like, so like eat the right foods and, and socialize and all that stuff. But is, is it the same idea for the best time to invest and injecting yourself with <laughs> longevity. Jeez. Not necessarily, because I, I mean, when if, you're young. if you're 30, you're still gonna be probably about 18 to 20 on your statin. So it's not gonna give you that much of a boost. And and it's not cheap, <laughs> you know, it's a it's an expensive therapy. Because right now it's like a $25,000 therapy, right? Right, and that's out of reach for most people, but I think the goal was to get it down to less than $1,000 um, so that it can be available, but and you get injected like every two years or something, right? Uh, that's what they anticipate, but we just we don't know for sure what the duration is going to be. How long do you think you're going to live? However long I live, I mean, I'm I'm not after immortality. It's not what it's about for me. Um, I just I enjoy the experience that we're having. Um, you know, I think we're part of something significantly greater. So I don't think we were ever born and we ever die. But we're in this, this temporary experience. And, you know, I want to live the life of excellence, the life that is full of adventure, full of love, full of uh, peak experiences and states of all. I mean, that is what I want to focus on, and I want to help other people to experience that as well. 
So you don't. So you're not like uh, Dave Asprey, where he's like 180. <laughs> no, no. I mean, there is a real possibility um, for most of us. Uh, I think a lot of people are on the cusp that they're not going to get the advantages, but we're going to run into interventions that will step us back two or three years, and then a year later a new intervention will come along that will step us back four years. So it's going to be a, a two intervention steps what? What do you mean? to reduce our biologic age. So I'm 26. Do you believe that people in my age demographic have a chance to live like past like 100, 200, oh, 300 absolutely, years? Absolutely. And, and healthy. Healthy. Um, 300 years oh. possibly yeah wow I mean you you guys are are going to be the ones that benefit I mean barring any world catastrophe or anything like that I mean you look at the accelerated rate of um, science knowledge I mean we had a back in the last century it started off with a doubling every hundred years then every 50 years and then every 20 years. And I think the latest thing I saw is that every 72 days, we double the world's knowledge in science now. And that's insane. And now with, with AI, I mean, this is the singularity that uh, Ray Kurzweil talked about. He's backed it back, I think. It was 2040, now he's back to 2035. I, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, saying that that's when the singularity will hit? Yep. I wouldn't be surprised if it's 2030. And just to describe what that actually means on a day-to-day -day level. It means that scientific knowledge will double every single day. Where does that leave us? <laughs> you mean, are we going to become obsolete to machines? Um, you know, I don't believe so. Uh, I, I truly foresee a merging of technology with human biology. Um, so we ascend with the uh, doubling of that intelligence. Yeah, I mean, to think that we're the, the ultimate goal of evolution is a little uh, egotistical. Um, I mean, you just, uh, the universe is constantly evolving, adapting, new emergent properties are occurring, but you can see a pattern of greater and greater ability to keep knowledge and, and spread it yeah and see the interactions of these different pieces of knowledge weird exciting world we're entering into <laughs> yes Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe, rate the podcast five stars, and share with a friend. If you have any questions or comments, DM us at Finding Founders Podcast on Instagram, LinkedIn, or Facebook. Finding Founders is produced and hosted by me, Samuel Donner. Our audio editing team lead is Ashley Jimenez with support from Jessica Morales, Miley Lipton, Si Pan, Kenny Wright, Josie Yo. Matt Fernandez and Merritt Hill. Our outreach and research team lead is Desiree Nunez with support from Marissa Granados, Monica Lee, Sarah Tiersma, and Yao Will. To see more of what we're up to, subscribe to our newsletter at findingfounders.com. 
Thanks again for listening and see you next week.